One of my favorite ways to unwind is by playing a game on my phone while I relax on the couch. And June's Journey is my new favorite as it combines several of my favorite things, finding hidden items, decor and design, and solving a murder. In June's Journey, you dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret while discovering the truth behind the unexplained death of her sister. As you uncover clues, you also get to build your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. You get to collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. You get to chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, the world. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I'm Sadie Eck. And I am Courtney Eck. And it's Courtney's Night. We're going to jump yeah. right into it, straight away, just psh, Straight into in. it. And stick around for the end, because I have a big, massive, big time They Will Pill update. So <gasps> da, 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 da. if you're invested in my neurodivergence, which who isn't? <laughs> I live for it. <laughs> You'll be excited about this information. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to talk tonight about the betrayal and murder of Nina Reiser. Tell me all about it, please. So on September 3rd, 2006, 31-year-old Nina Reiser was living in Oakland, California. Nina was scheduled to meet at her best friend Ellen Doran's house for dinner at 6 p.m. When 6 p.m. came and went with no sign of Nina... Ellen immediately became concerned because Nina was not the type of person to not show up for plans and not call after the fact. Nina Reiser was born Nina Sharonova in Russia in 1974, was the child of two physicians, and was extremely bright. She had studied to be an obstetrician and gynecologist. She was very well-loved and well-known in the community and was known for her kindness, bright smile, and outgoing and helpful personality. She had two children, seven-year-old Rory and five-year-old Nile, and was studying to become an obstetrician and a gynecologist in the United States, and had signed up and paid for her test to make that happen. Rory and Nile. And it's it's spelled N-I-O-R-L-I-N-E. I did hear it pronounced oh. Nile, but it could be more like slightly off, but my American ears heard Nile. Oh, <laughs> yes, which is a great name. Yes. Yes. When Nina didn't arrive for her dinner plans, Ellen called her cell phone and home phone but got no answer. Ellen wondered if maybe Nina's boyfriend, Anthony Zagrafos, had taken her away for the weekend as a surprise and that Nina had simply forgotten to check in and cancel dinner. Ellen was able to get a hold of Anthony and he explained that he was indeed out of town but that Nina was not with him. Anthony returned from his trip the next day and was also unable to track down Nina and confirmed that no one else had seen or heard from her either. Ellen was able to piece together that on Sunday the 3rd, the day Nina was scheduled to meet her for dinner, Nina had dropped off her two children at the home of her soon-to-be ex-husband, Hans Reiser. 
Hans was a world-renowned software engineer who had met Nina in 1996 when Hans had signed up for a date with a woman who had been listed. The one source I saw said cataloged for mail order brides, but another source I saw just said like a dating website in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nina had actually gone on the date to be the woman's interpreter. Nina was as good looking as she was intelligent and Hans was completely taken by her. Nina also quickly fell for the handsome, brilliant, successful Hans, and it seemed like a match made in heaven. Nina had always wanted to live outside of Eastern Europe, as she had a deep longing to live as much of her life as she possibly could, and so she moved to the United States in 1999. She was pregnant with their first child at the time, and she and Hans were married soon after. In May of 2004, Nina had filed for divorce from Hans, citing irreconcilable differences, and said that her children, quote, barely knew their father because he was out of the country and away from home almost constantly, and so the couple had been living apart for a couple of years by the time she'd gone missing. Ellen learned that Nina was scheduled to pick up the kids from school on Monday the 4th and knew that there was absolutely no way that she would not show up for them that day unless something was seriously wrong. Ellen's worst fears came true when pickup time came and went and there was still no sign of Nina. And so Ellen called the police to report Nina missing. The officer who took the initial call said that he had a particularly bad feeling about it. And so officers were dispatched immediately to search Nina's home. Good. I know two in a row. I feel like one of the last cases I covered said the same thing. They searched her home and found absolutely no signs of forced entry or any type of a struggle. All of her clothes, makeup, and toiletries were in place. She'd left cash in her home, and authorities also learned that she had prepaid rent and childcare, so there were no signs that she had planned to skip town for a while. The media almost immediately picked up on the fact that the gorgeous wife of a famous and successful computer programmer was missing, and there were broadcasts reporting her disappearance throughout the Bay Area. Friends and loved ones were frantic to find the loving mother of two, and everyone who knew her sprang into action to help find her. Surveillance footage surfaced of Nina and the kids shopping and enjoying each other earlier on the day that she went missing. Cell phone records showed that after she left the store, she made the last recorded phone call to Hans to let him know that she was running late and would be dropping off the children at 2.30 instead of 2 o'clock as scheduled. Police, of course, interviewed Hans, Nina's soon-to-be ex-husband, and the last person to see her alive to see if he could give them any insight into what had happened to Nina after she dropped off the children. Hans said that Nina had dropped off the kids like she always had and then had left to drive home without incident. After that, Nina and her car had completely vanished. Hmm. I don't know which way to go on this one. Well, strap in because it's a weird one, Sadie. Okay. (laughs) Strange story. (laughs) Police accessed her voicemail to see if they can find any clues. And among the sea of calls from concerned friends and family, they found some suspicious messages from her boyfriend, Anthony, that said, quote, Hi, it's me. You know, don't worry about nothing else happened. Take the time you need, but just call one of us. No matter where you are, call me. I'll come pick Mm -hmm. you up, okay? And it's not too late. Everything can be fixed. Nothing is broken. I love you and I'll see you soon. Bye. 
Authorities brought in Anthony for questioning, who did admit that the relationship had been a little rocky recently, but was adamant that he didn't have anything to do with her disappearance. He said that he'd assumed that Nina had needed some time alone out of town, but once again, there was absolutely no evidence that that was the case. Police had also gone through Nina's bank and credit card statements, as well as immigration records, and there had been absolutely no activity tied to Nina since she dropped off her children on Sunday at 2.30 and then disappeared. This is early 2000s? Yeah, 2006. Yep. Okay. The first break in the case came one week after she disappeared when Nina's minivan was found on a quiet residential street in the Oakland Hills, just three miles from where she'd last been seen at Hans' home. Hmm, Hans' home. The back of the van was full of rotting groceries that she'd purchased just before driving to Hans' residence, and her purse, cash, and credit cards were all in the van as well. There was absolutely no sign of a struggle of any kind, but the battery of Nina's cell phone had been removed, which was the first sign that some kind of foul play had been involved in her disappearance. Interesting. Just take the whole thing. I know, but then that then it's in one piece with you someplace else, I guess. I don't know. I'll take I don't it know why you... throw it in the garbage. <laughs> Put it in the river. Removing the battery would have obviously made it impossible for the phone to be tracked after she went missing as it wouldn't be pinging off of any of the towers as she or the phone moved around. I, I blame Hans. I'm totally team Hans now because, I mean, but in the bad way, because uh, he's smart and he knows about computers. And it's well, 2006. Dang, you're smart. You're a smart little smarty. I thought the exact same thing. I was like, I don't think that people really knew in 2006 that cell phones were pinging. You know what I mean? I sure didn't. I didn't either. I had no idea. I didn't get a cell phone until 2006. I was going to say, that's about the time I got mine. Yep. Yep. A massive search was launched in the Oakland Hills, and 150 police and volunteers scoured the area and all of the locations Nina was known to frequent, but there was absolutely no sign of her. As days stretched on with no sign of Nina, friends and authorities started to lose hope that she'd just taken a few days away to clear her head, and it became clear that something awful had likely happened to the dynamic and intelligent doctor and mother of two. So Hans Reiser was born in Oakland in 1963 and was so intelligent that he had dropped out of high school when he was 14, had taken the SATs, and was accepted into the University of California, Berkeley. Dang. Smarty pants. During college, he worked in the computer lab, but never graduated from Berkeley because he claimed it wasn't challenging enough. (laughs) I had the same experience. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Me too. I didn't graduate from Humboldt State University because, (laughs) well, if I'm being honest, I moved to Portland, Oregon, and I just never completed my education. (laughs) Humboldt Polytechnic College or whatever it's called now. They changed it recently. Oh, really? Yeah, I studied um, film and painting, but didn't find it very challenging. So I've never done either since. (laughs) (laughs) So after dropping out of college, he launched his own software company called Namesys and became famous in the world of computers basically overnight. He developed a file system, which he named the Riser File System, that was adopted by Linux users all over the world, Mm -hmm. making him a superstar in the world of computers and computer software. Hans's company quickly became worth several million dollars, 
and he refused to sell it because it was everything to him, and he treated the company just as much as it was his child, if not more, than his own children. So while Nina was studying to become a doctor in the United States, Hans gave her a job as CFO of his company, and so she was responsible for handling all of the finances and keeping the books for the company. Everyone who knew the couple said that their marriage started off incredibly strong as they seemed like the perfect power couple, and everything was going their way, with Namesis being a rising success and Nina's plan to resume her medical career in the United States as she helped Hans continue to grow the business. They were also very excited about being parents, were very much in love, and had a lot of love and admiration for each other. Mm, just hang on to it. Just like, <laughs> hold on to that. Like, how does it go so horribly wrong? Because yeah. that sounds like, you know. Ideal. Yeah. What more could you want? Heaven. Seriously. So their son Rory was born in 1999, the same year they were married, and then they had their daughter Nile two years later. Co-parenting was not at all easy for the couple, however, and the couple argued over just about everything when it came to raising the kids. For example, Nina wanted the kids to go to traditional American school, but Hans had disliked his experiences with formal education so much he pushed for them to be taught at home. Hans was also not thrilled about the idea of Nina returning to practice medicine and so pressured her to stay home and raise their children instead. Mm. No. I know. Nope. Nope. And people said they just couldn't. I mean, he was like, they didn't like the same doctors. They didn't like the same foods. They didn't like to say, you know, just like wow. literally nothing in common when it came to raising their children. That's a bummer. Yeah. So after just four years together, it was clear that the marriage was over. Hans was spending months at a time in Russia on business, and Nina was stuck at home raising the children. The times that Hans was at home, his relationship with his wife and children was so strained that he felt more like a stranger than a member of the family. On top of that, Hans preferred to spend most of his time playing video games, practicing martial arts, and building his company, so there was basically no time left for his wife and kids, so Nina filed for divorce. Hmm. It's yep. interesting to me when that happens. I mean, I think it happens a lot, but yeah, like you can't even just carve out a little bit of time. No. Okay. That I sucks. think if you're not ready to have kids, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think it, even when you are ready to have kids, it can suck at times. But yeah, yeah you know, like yeah. just even, I don't know, just a little bit of room for them. <laughs> a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Well, back then, I mean, people just really did not think it through. I think you think, yeah, "Yeah, kids are great. I like people. You know, of course, I'll want to have some small people who look just like me in my house. It's going to be easy, especially those of us who were raised by a generation who didn't really want to have a lot to do with us, you know, or wanted to, but were incapable of it. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, kids were fairly well behaved and we didn't see a lot of kids like expressing themselves or Mm -hmm. acting out, you know, or being disruptive. And so you know, fast forward to 2006 and kids are just very different now. And Mm -hmm. he's essentially like a teenage nerdy boy. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I think in a a lot of the minds of like really brilliant people, it's like, well, what's the problem here? You know, Mm -hmm. I'm making us millions of dollars, raise the children. Right. Right. Yeah. And she's like, I'm a fucking doctor. Fuck you. Right. (laughs) Totally. I can see how that would clash, clash, clash. So Nina had filed for a temporary restraining order 
uh, against Hans in 2004 after claiming he had pushed her and had been abusive toward her, but did not seek a permanent order a year later. This is after the... The, they haven't divorced. They're trying Correct. to divorce. Yeah, this was but this like, was a right the around the same time. I think this was like right before she filed for divorce. Yeah, or yeah. right after, sorry, right after she filed for divorce. To make matters worse, Hans had tasked his best friend, Sean Sturgeon, with keeping an eye on Nina and the kids while he was away and making sure that they had everything they needed in his absence. This backfired on Hans when Sean and Nina developed a romantic relationship And so Nina not only left Hans because he was an unfit father and husband, but because she was sleeping with his only friend in the world. Oh, no. Hans and Sean had met playing Dungeons and Dragons as teenagers, and Hans didn't have any friends who he related to as closely as he did Sean. So the betrayal was a huge blow for him. Yeah, that's a bummer. I also read that Hans had been ordered to pay 50% of the children's medical and childcare expenses and was $12,000 behind on his payments <laughs> as of May of that year. I roll. My so eyes are rolling. It was messy. It was very messy. Things were not good. And also, yes, he's a teenage boy who doesn't yeah. want to take care of anything. So the relationship between Nina and Sean didn't last very long, as far as I could tell, but they did remain friends after the fact. Nina eventually started dating Anthony, and friends said that he was less than thrilled that she remained close to Sean after they'd broken up. Sean reported that Nina thought that Anthony was overbearing and controlling, and that he and Anthony had conflicts over time as a result. So as police gathered all of the information on Nina's potential love quadrangle, Jesus, seriously, it became clear that their top three suspects were her soon-to-be ex-husband, Hans, her ex-boyfriend, Sean, and her current boyfriend, Anthony, as all of them had complicated relationships with the missing woman. I like Siri. I just had this image of like the dating game. <laughs> seriously. <laughs> no, like, who's yes. Panel number Would one. Would you like Bachelor One, the brilliant yeah. but useless software engineer? Right. Well, and just wait till you get to hear more about Sean. This guy is a trip, a trip. Like really? I'm just writing. Oh, he has a pretty straightforward story. Do 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 do, and then look out. Here comes some shit, man. This guy's. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there in just a moment. Yeah, my life is so boring. That's what I've realized doing all these stories i'm so boring <laughs> no it's not just like live in my life i mean but not in a bad way but like in a very oh yeah straightforward yeah, yeah, yeah. way yes. my life is I, straightforward is a better word than boring yes. it's not boring but like i don't there's no drama i just i do my thing i live my life yep. I, you know like yeah. how do people have time for uh, it, like other stuff i don't know well i think that you and i got a lot of the drama out of our systems in our yeah. 20s me yeah. in particular, your life was a little, your relationships were much less dramatic, but. But still, I definitely did, you know, had my moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think if you marry the person that you're dating in your 20s, which a lot of people do, because even though the, you can't really get along or stand each other, you still love each other. You know? mm-hmm. Like Laura and I talk about it all the time. If we had married the, if we'd legal, legally been able to marry the people we are in relationships and the same pressure had been on us that. You know, we're on straight people of our generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we would have had a, a divorce or two by now, I'm sure. But yes, <laughs> you know, yeah, but it, you totally. know, I was 32 and Laura was 45 when we met, and like, it wasn't like absolutely perfect in the beginning because you still have to like have that little pecking order of where you like test each mm-hmm. other and develop trust and all that. 
obnoxious shit but mm-hmm. yeah same we don't fucking fight we don't ever fight ever Mm-mm. ever no drama so some of nina's closest friends confirmed the rumors that anthony had a tendency to be overbearing and controlling and he continued to claim that he'd been out of town when nina disappeared any he idea claimed- how long they had been dating not a tremendously long time. I think okay. a year. I think a year. Okay, yeah. but not like brand, brand new. No, long enough. Yeah. But I actually couldn't find, like, I could barely find anything on him in particular. There's tons on Hans and Sean, but there's like, I, I had it, I had to search for a very long time to figure out how to spell his last name, for example. <laughs> he So Anthony claimed he had been on a camping trip with his ex-wife and their children. And when authorities looked into this claim, they found that it was airtight and that he hadn't been anywhere near Oakland when Nina had gone missing. Authorities then looked more closely at Sean and learned that he was still supporting Nina financially, even though they'd broken up, and police wondered if Sean had murdered her as a result of the large debt that she had accrued by taking his help. Hmm. Police looked hmm. more deeply into Sean's past and his relationship with the couple and found that he'd actually dressed in drag to be the maid of honor, the maid of honor at Hans and Nina's wedding, which they found odd. Hmm. Sean explained that he'd spent a lot of time in the BDSM and leather community and had engaged in some pretty wild activity and had been moving away from the community at the time that he was in the relationship with Nina. And when I say that Sean is out there, I'm not referring to the BDSM stuff. I fully of 100 million percent in support of the bdsm community so just so i'm clear and also dressing in drag but i'm just saying from the point of view of the police in 2006 you know they were like oh hell yeah this guy's fucking weird Mm -hmm. right totally but he is actually weird we're gonna get to him actually being weird so despite what i'm sure like i just said was a massive suspicion on the part of the police they couldn't find any evidence that sean had anything to do with nina's disappearance and you know that they wanted to so badly Mm Sean had been working in a soup kitchen the night that Nina went missing. And so while it wasn't a perfect alibi, it did confirm that he hadn't been with her around the time that she had disappeared. Okay, but if I ever do a crime and I need an alibi, soup kitchen is definitely my go-to. <laughs> like, how can you, you know? Like, no, dude, totally. I was helping feed people. Oh, uh, yeah. Hungry. I was with the nuns, so... <laughs> <laughs> So with Sean and Anthony essentially ruled out as suspects, police focused all of their attention on Hans and learned that there was a nasty custody battle raging between the couple. Nina claimed that Hans treated the kids, quote, like little adults and exposed them to movies and video games that were very inappropriate for small children and also accused him of, quote, cruelty and neglect. Quote, this is an activity that Hans does almost obsessively to relax, she wrote in her divorce filing. Hans believe a child should, quote, know the real world and sees nothing wrong with this behavior. He doesn't seem to grasp that children are not little adults. In return, Hans claimed that Nina was an unfit mother as well as a, quote, adulteress and thief. He claimed that during her time as CFO of of Namesis, she had embezzled hundreds of thousands of dollars from the company. Police tried to question Hans further about the disappearance of the mother of his children and he instructed them to speak to his lawyer, mm-hmm. so wasn't the most sympathetic or helpful member of a family of a missing woman. So since Hans wouldn't cooperate with police voluntarily, they obtained a search warrant to search his home and vehicle, 
and in the home, they found a small smear of blood on a post near the living room that was approximately four feet off of the ground. When they went to search his vehicle, they found it was missing, and in its place was a rental car. At the time that Nina disappeared, Hans had been driving a Honda CRX that was owned by his mother, Beverly, and she relayed to police that she had been out of town the weekend Nina went missing and was surprised that he had been using her car while she was gone. I was going to say he owns a million dollar, like multi-million dollar company. He's driving his mom's car. He didn't know. He didn't need, like he had his own. I think Sounds so. Like. I think he was staying with his mother. Is I did oh, okay. read that he moved divorcing. in with her after they were divorcing. Got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm assuming that he. I don't know. If I had millions of dollars, I probably and was going through a divorce, I would probably avoid buying really expensive things, knowing yeah, that those really expensive things would probably get taken away. So I'm assuming he was probably playing poor and hiding money and things. Mm-hmm. So Hans had told his mother that the car was having battery problems, and so he was getting it taken care of, but his mother did not know where it was. <laughs> Police interviewed neighbors who reported that they hadn't seen the car since right after Nina had gone missing. While they were interviewing the neighbors about the car, one neighbor revealed that two days after Nina disappeared, he had seen Hans hosing off something in his driveway for about 30 minutes. Mm. He said that it stood out to him because he had never seen Hans do anything to maintain the house or yard, and so it was very odd to see him suddenly taking an interest in the cleanliness of his driveway. Right. Yeah. see hosing. Police sent in samples of the blood that they found on the post for DNA testing, and the test confirmed that the blood did indeed belong to Nina. Mm-hmm. I also read that um, it later came back that it was sort of inconclusive, but it doesn't really matter. This increased their interest in Hans as a suspect, of course, but without any additional evidence or a body, they didn't have enough to make an arrest. So to ramp up their surveillance of Hans, a judge authorized a wiretap of his phone, and soon after, police intercepted a very strange call between Hans and his mother. In the call, he said, quote, She looked for every possible way she could to screw me and did it. Hans's mother then defended Nina and said that no matter what happened between the two of them, it was still very sad that she was missing and maybe dead, which Hans weakly agreed with. His mother then said that no matter what she did, she didn't deserve whatever happened to her and asked if Hans agreed, to which he replied, quote, My children didn't deserve to be endangered by her. His mother repeated that she didn't deserve it, and he repeated, quote, Yeah, and neither did I, and neither did Rory. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Police took this disturbing conversation to mean that Hans had killed Nina and was trying to convince his mother that she deserved it. Police then ramped up a full-scale surveillance of Hans and followed him everywhere he went. It was clear that he suspected he was being followed because he would drive 30 in a 60 and then get off at an exit and then immediately re-enter the interstate. Luckily, there were several cars following him at any given time, so if he managed to evade one car, another car would swoop in and take over, so he was rarely out of their sight. Wow. There was also the work that takes. I know. I know. I mean, I'm not complaining, but just kind of noticing that one one guy, you know, like one guy is getting all of this attention from the police. It's just kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in Oakland, where there's like a bazillion crimes happening in 2006 and other missing women are not necessarily getting the same attention. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But there was also, I mean, I love it. I want every woman to get this amount of attention. And I love when they surveil them. Like I, that's the, nothing makes me more crazy than offenders getting away because police didn't have the evidence and didn't think to surveil them or didn't have the resources to surveil them. So yes, but also can we figure out how to do it for everyone? Right. Maybe not. Everyone gets surveilled all the time. <laughs> That's what just. I'm saying. New world order. <laughs> Fuck privacy. Just kidding. New listeners. Just, just kidding. kidding. So there was also an airplane keeping an eye on him from above. Wow. So not only do we have like a team of cars. There's also an airplane. An airplane. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So one afternoon, Hans pulled over into a residential area and parked, then walked a short distance in a neighborhood back and forth for about 30 minutes to be sure that no one was following him. When he felt confident that he was alone, he walked straight over to his missing car and moved it to a more remote area to repark it, then ran ran a couple of miles home to his mother's house. (laughs) One an airplane. Air, an airplane. But, I mean, that's smart because a helicopter is so obvious. But an airplane, you know, like a little know, Cessna or something. the fact that he thinks he can dodge him is just kind of telling you who he thinks he is. Yeah, I don't think he's the brightest right. bulb. Mm-mm. I mean, he's like obviously incredibly brilliant. But then all the, just right. the regular intelligence, the street intelligence. Right. Burp, burp. So once he was gone, p- police immediately searched the car. The car only had two seats. And the passenger seat had been completely removed. We've seen that before. <laughs> They'll never notice That's that. That's not suspicious. Not even a little. The carpet in the car was very wet. And on one section of the floorboards, there was close to an inch of water pooled. Wow. Inside of the car, they also found a couple of books. One of them was Homicide a Year on the Killing Streets by David Simon. And the other was Masterpieces of Murder written by Jonathan Goodman. <laughs> And in one of the books, there was a passage about how murders were rarely solved if police couldn't recover a body. Mm-hmm. Unless At you this... leave the b- murder books in the murder car. <laughs> then they can pretty well But he moved it, it well. Sadie. He moved That's it. That's true. He walked That's back true. and sorry. forth for 30 minutes and then, you know, we're definitely shook them at that point. Right. So, all good. <laughs> oh. At this point, police believed that they had enough evidence to arrest Hans and so took him into custody and charged him with murder. When they arrested him, he had $9,000 in cash on his person, as well as his passport, which also isn't suspicious at all. Not at all. They also found a phone in his fanny pack that he had on him and the battery had been removed. Uh -uh. Mm Uh-uh. Hans. So with their suspect in custody, detectives and prosecutors started the process of interviewing key witnesses to build their case for trial. And while they were interviewing Sean Sturgeon, this is where it gets weird. He told them out of the blue that he had murdered eight and a half people. What? And the half person was because he didn't know if his ninth victim had lived or died. Wow, Sean. And everybody was like... So Sean claimed that he had grown up in a commune and had murdered the eight people because he and his sister had been abused and molested by them in the commune. He allowed police to search his home and willingly handed over his collection of guns, but wouldn't tell them any more details about the supposed murder of eight and a half commune members. I mean, this is like a totally fucked up version of 
it's like stealing somebody's thunder, but in a murderer way. Like, it's what is so weird. What? It's so weird. So police looked into Sean's claims, but were unable to find any proof that he had actually taken the lives of eight or nine people. Sean also admitted that he'd been so forthright about his past as a serial killer because he didn't want to testify at trial because he'd already been humiliated enough as the weirdo friend who was into kinky sex and subcultures. Hmm. Quote, it's unclear why Sturgeon made the confession. He would only say, I have cooperated since day one. When asked why he confessed at all, he responded with the question, quote, in a murder case, if somebody has killed who is a witness, is it relevant? Yes or no? Weird. <sighs> like, I dug a lot to try to find more information about this guy because, you know, of course, I found a show like with interviews with the detectives who broke the case and the prosecutors and everybody they just like brushed right on over this like it was nothing you know because <laughs> i'm over here lot. like shit i have to go yes. investigate a whole other serial killer but he's clearly out this guy sean was in the show that i watched too he's just out there openly huh. like yeah and they were very vague about it and i did find a tiny bit more information but what the fuck you guys what? like right. yeah so Sean had also sued Hans in 2004 for a loan that he claimed Hans had never repaid. Quote, according to filings in Alameda County Superior Court, a notice of settlement was filed on Hans Reiser's behalf on Wednesday to resolve a lawsuit filed against him by Sean Sturgeon on December 30th, 2004, seeking $131,552 in damages. The terms of the settlement weren't disclosed. Sturgeon claimed that Riser and his company, Namesis Incorporated, which he ran out of his home, failed to pay back a loan. In a response to the lawsuit that was filed on February 15, 2005, Riser, acting as his own attorney, said, quote, under no theory of liability is defendant Riser liable personally for repayment. I'm, this is one long quote, obviously. Mm -hmm. Riser alleged that Sturgeon, quote, had been having a secret affair with the defendant's wife, Nina Riser, at the time of the loan. Riser said to Sturgeon, quote, continues this illicit affair even during divorce proceedings currently in action, and that Sturgeon, quote, even apparently is, in defiance of a court order, residing with the defendant's wife and children. The allegations of an illicit affair didn't stop there. Riser said Sturgeon, quote, worked with my wife Nina Riser and eventually drugged her with ecstasy and seduced her. Riser alleged, quote, he then engaged in bondage, domination, sadism, and masochism techniques and continued to redrug her repeatedly over time. Wow. Okay. So where's I the don't evidence for this? I really know what they're getting at, but it seems to me like they're just picking at each other through court documents. Just yeah. Going, you did this and sex and ecstasy and sadomasochism and blah, 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 blah. It's a bunch of buzzwords. And it's very messy. It's all very fucking messy. So it was fairly clear to authorities that Sean's confession was false, but it was a huge win for the defense who could poke holes in the case against Hans by claiming that it had been Nina's ex-boyfriend who claimed he was a serial killer and had deep ties with the BDSM community that had actually taken her life. Mm -hmm. Not to mention the fact that there was no body. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. I don't like it. 
So police threw a Hail Mary and offered Hans three years in prison for involuntary manslaughter in exchange for Nina's body and a full confession, and Hans completely rejected the plea offer. What? And so the case went to trial. Have you ever you heard a better plea deal in your entire life? No, 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 no. Yep. Never. Mm-hmm. That would be like less, probably less than a year. Yes. Like a year and a half, maybe. It's like in deal or no deal when they're up to like 550,000 and they don't take it and then they $75 in the end yeah I have never heard of a better plea deal in my entire life uh no so the prosecution then got a huge win this is when the $75 case opens up at the last minute however when the judge ruled that Sean's murder confession was inadmissible at trial Booyah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense. There's absolutely no evidence. No. I mean, there's like no evidence of this commune. There's no evidence of the people. He like wouldn't, you know, I was like, I wouldn't tell them anybody's names. I was very vague <laughs> about it. But they're like, this didn't happen, dude. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. So I I don't know why he would have said that. I mean, it's so strange that he said that. And I mean, met, I just kind of screams at mental health issues. Well, and... Yes, these either that or he and Hans like commiserated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe Hans pay, or paid him to do it, and he was like, "Just say something really crazy that they'll never be able to confirm, but just like lob a bone to my defense, because like you're the BDSM guy, and like you're never gonna get charged for this or Nina's murder. I don't know, dude, but it's weird. Mm. Yeah. It just seems like a really big gamble. I know. But like, what if they're like, oh, my God, there's this commune and nine people are missing. And he's like, no. <laughs> well, and also like Sean could then be charged with Nina's murder. And so he could just put himself yes. in the hot seat. But yes, no matter what, he did confess it and put the su- suspicion on himself unnecessarily. Yeah, it's it's really like that strange. wife who called in that her husband had killed that woman and then like got herself intertwined in it do you know what i'm talking (laughs) about Uh and then got like put to jail for life and like 25 years later they figured out who actually did it yes (laughs) and she's like i just wanted him out of the house (laughs) (laughs) don't do that don't do it so crazy crazier things have happened but that is just very fucking this is such a strange thing to confess to so you don't have to go to trial he was like i just was too humiliated i didn't want to go to trial anymore so the prosecution claimed that hans had overtaken nina as she dropped the kids off on the day she went missing and he had used his martial arts skills to most likely strangle her to death oh this claim was strengthened by their son rory's testimony that on the night his mother went missing he woke up in the middle of the night and his father was not in bed with him and he usually slept with him He said that he went to investigate where his father had gone. He saw him coming down the stairs with a big, dark bag in his hand and that he thought the bag contained his mother. Oh, no. He had drawn a picture of what he claimed to have seen that night and also got down from the stand to reenact how he had crouched down to see his father coming down the stairs that night. Oh. The defense claimed that Hans's weird behavior was just a result of him being a weirdo. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. And the fact is that he was very much a strange and unusual person. The defense said that there was no doubt that Hans was socially awkward and kind of bizarre, but that didn't mean that he killed his wife and the mother of his children. For a while, it seemed that the defense was gaining ground, but then Hans went against his team's advice and insisted on taking the stand in his own defense. Oh, buddy. 
On the first day of his testimony, Hans presented himself extremely well and came across as very normal, friendly, and helpful in answering questions. But then the veneer cracked as the questioning got tougher and more direct, and he was less able to keep his cool as he answered the prosecution's questions. Yeah, he just thinks he's hot shit. Yeah, he's and they were so like, smart. he was just like an outwit them or something. Yeah, he just started like coughing and, you know, shifting and just like basically just fell apart completely. He said yeah. that the jury was visibly not impressed. Like it was very obvious. So at the end of the trial, the jury deliberated for two and a half days and found Hans Reiser guilty of the murder of his wife, Nina. After he was found guilty, Hans stood up and said that he was the best father he could possibly be insinuating that he had killed Nina to protect his children. Mm. Then Hans and his team dropped a huge bombshell before sentencing and said that Hans was willing to reveal the location of Nina's body in exchange for a lighter sentence as one last fucked up bargaining chip. No, dude. No, you had that chance. Detectives. (laughs) I know. I know. You missed out on six months. years. Yeah. Yeah. So detectives had spoken with Nina's mother in Russia, and she had made it clear that she really wanted to bring her daughter home to rest. And so Hans was presented with the offer to reduce his sentence from 25 years to life to 15 years to life with no option for an appeal in exchange for his wife's body. Hans agreed and sat down with detectives to report what he claims happened to his wife on the afternoon that she went missing. Hans claimed that when Nina showed up, the two of them discussed their divorce, which, quote, caused him to become enraged and he killed her. Right after that, he said he shouldn't have done that and that he was very sorry that he did. He said that the way he killed her was by stopping the blood from flowing to her head by placing his hands on both sides of her neck and, quote, in the most unsophisticated chokehold that any judo instructor would despise you for doing, he choked her to death. Dude. What an immature, narcissistic piece of shit. (sighs) He said that he did all of this right in front of the front door of the home and that it was quick and quiet and that the kids didn't hear anything happening. But they were there. They were there. Those poor kids. He said he then placed her in a duffel bag and then stored her in the CRX in the car for a couple of nights while he dug the hole big enough to dispose of her body. Three days later, Hans led police to an area in the Oakland Hills Regional Park, and about 15 or 20 feet off of the path, he showed authorities where he had buried the mother of his children. Nina's body was recovered, and Hans was sentenced to 15 years to life in prison. And Sean said, the last thing Sean said in this interview was, I think it's very fitting that the man who took his wife's life will find out what it means to be a wife while he's in prison. Oh, you drama queen, you weird drama queen. So in July of 2012, Nina's mother sued Hans for wrongful death and a judge ordered Hans to pay his children $60 million. And Hans argued against the ruling, claiming that he had killed his wife to protect his children. Quote, he claims his wife was abusing the kids, that she had fictitious disorder by proxy, often referred to as Munchausen syndrome by proxy where a caregiver harms or even kills someone they are in charge of in order to gain sympathy or attention. During the 2008 trial, Reiser alluded to that as well, having accused his wife of having the disease when she wanted to get their son's surgery for severe hearing loss. 
In his papers, he accused the courts, the prison system, county children's services, his trial attorneys, and others of conspiring against him during his murder trial and now in the civil case. Quote, there are extensive legal grounds under multiple arguments for defending an innocent child when the state will not, at the cost of a non-innocent party's life, Hans Reiser wrote. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, like, easy for you to say, to mur- like, murderer. Easy yeah. for you to say. She's yeah. not there. Yes. And also, why are you fighting giving all of your money to your children? Who you so, in, like, quote, unquote, protect, you're protecting them. Like, give them your money. Yep. yep. No, he didn't want his wife to get his kids. He didn't want his wife to get his money. He didn't want his wife to sleep with his best friend. You know, he just didn't want to. He didn't want what he wanted. Yeah. Yep. He doesn't want his kids to have his money. He doesn't. Ugh. Just stop, man. Yep. And he, you know, convinced himself that she had Munchausen syndrome by proxy and because she wanted him to get ear surgery and wanted him to go to doctors and wanted them to go to school and, you know, just Mm -hmm. had different ideas of how to raise them. And so he justified murdering his wife selfishly in cold blood by saying that she had Munchausen. And if he didn't, he was, she was going to hurt his children, which is bullshit. Mm. Yeah. So the children now live with their grandmother in Russia and are doing quote, as well as can be expected. Those poor fucking kids, like your mom dies and then you have to move to a foreign country. Yes. (laughs) No. Ugh. Hans was denied bail in 2020, and there is no future parole hearing listed on the California Inmate Search website. Good. I'm so glad they didn't let him out. So glad. So glad. And also, just one last note, if you want to learn more about Sean Sturgeon, because there's not a lot about him on the internet, his friend and fellow member of the BDSM community, Stephen Elliott, wrote a book called The Adderall Diaries, A Memory of Moods, Masochism, and Murder, that apparently gives more insight into Sean and the entire case. It was also made into a movie called The Adderall Diaries starring James Franco, which hmm. I have not seen, but I found yeah. that right before we started recording. Yes. So that, my darlings, is the very strange and very senseless and totally awful murder of Nina Reiser. I'm so sorry for Nina, man. That just Seriously. sucks. Seriously. Yep. You can't have it all. You can't have it all. You don't get to have it all. No, sir. Under no. under like any circ- like any conditions. There's not. You don't get to do that. No, at the expense if, of a human life. I'm no, sorry, uh, that buddy. I'm sorry that she doesn't want you to just play video games all day and right? wants her children to go to school and also wants to be a doctor and just a million like, other things. Why? I know. Toxic and wants you to not be in Russia <laughs> half of the year and it's just. Oh my God. Imagine uh, being such a spoiled brat that you kill your wife. I mean, no. I, we can imagine it because we cover cases like this all the time. All the time. Yep. 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 And it will never not horrify and disturb me yeah. to my bones and to my core. Yep. And then you got your crazy friend over there, like fabricating serial killings to not have to go. I'm just like, what? God. What kind of people was poor Nina having to hang out with? Right. You know? Yeah. Sorry for her that this was like her introduction to American men. Mm-hmm. Also, right? She maybe was just like, I guess this is how they are here. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And she was pretty young when she met. Yeah, it was 1999. So yeah, she was in her, you know, 20s. And 
and again, like the BDSM and stuff, totally fine. Great. Awesome. Yeah, I fully yeah, support no, it. Like exercise your whatever. kinks. Exer- yeah. A yeah. hundred million percent. I don't think that's weird. And I don't think that that's like sinister or off putting, but he obviously has other deeper issues that God knows what she had to be in the middle of. I can't even yeah. imagine. So anyway, anyway, do well, better. everybody. One. Thank you very Seriously, much. Do better. Be better. Don't stop. Just stop. Just don't leave women alone. Let them be doctors. Women need to be doctors. And yes, end of story period. Yes. Yes. Should we just move on? Transition time. Yeah, transition, hard transition right into name time. It's been a while since I described name time or explained what it is. So if you're new to this podcast or fairly new and still haven't gotten to an explanation of name time, go back to the Charlotte Grabby episode (laughs) where I mentioned a woman named Cindy Pancake and that just set off this domino effect of people sending us adorable and wonderful and names that are to be celebrated. And then we read them off every episode. And so here's tonight's name time. Give it to us. It's name time. Okay, everybody starting out strong. And again, I do confirm that these names are real. I Google these people to confirm that Richard Fickens is a person. <laughs> Somehow. Richard Thickens? Richard Thickens is a person. <laughs> oh. Somebody's uncle's name is Roland Carr. <laughs> And their mom had a teacher growing up named Dick for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Somebody has a pen name, Helen Bach, because they've been to Helen Bach. Fuck yeah, you doll. So all suburbs around where a listener lives in the central central coast of NSW in Australia. Woy (laughs) woy. W O Y W O Y Tumbi Umbi Budgie Woy and Wada Nobby. Wow. (laughs) Give it to me. I want to submit my own name for name time, which is Cat Usher. What? Why are you ushering cats, Cat? Seriously. Why do the cats need an usher? I mean, the cats do need ushers. They really do. They really They're do. They're an unruly bunch. They need somebody to show them where to go. Yes. Um, there's a Canadian screenwriter, Norm Hiscock. <laughs> Someone's fiance has a cousin named Tammy Hammer. Oh, that's very <laughs> cute. So cute. They say they think about that at least once a week. And I will now, too. I do. Too I now. will also for sure. Tammy Hammer. <laughs> There's a ramen bar called Show Me, S-H-O-M-I, Nudes, N-O-O-D-S, Show Me Nudes. I just remembered a name. I was in my little town and I was at a stop sign and I look over and across the way there was a van waiting to turn on the same street. It was a girl grape plumbing. (laughs) Yes. No, it was Oma's Uber spelled (gasps) O-O-B-E-R. 
Oma's Uber. <laughs> oh my God. I need Oma to Uber me. I know. So next time I, not like, Holy I haven't gone out in a very long time, but shit. if I ever need a ride in my town, I'm definitely calling Oma's Uber. Oh my Ugh. God. It's so, so brilliant. So and cute. Yeah. A friend of Oma and find out everything about yes. her. Yes. Holy shit. Um, somebody's dad went to high school with a girl named Crystal Bottom. <laughs> Someone works at a weed farm and their coworker's name is Nick Vin- Vin- Vinius. Venus. Nick Venus is what it looked Yeah, Nick Venus. V-E-I-N-I-O-U-S. Nick Venus. Tough. And Yeah, man. Uh, there's a doc- there, this confirmed gynecologist named Dr. Doom. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this whole email was amazing. So I'm reading the whole thing. Somebody went to school with a kid named Roland Stone. No jokes. That was his name. His parents looked like they came off of a romance novel cover and rode around on a motorcycle all summer. Very 80s kid living it up with the 90s kids still holding on to their youth vibe. Yes. We have a lot of those around here. To yes. be fair, we also had a Matt Fell whose kid who kids would respond with is he okay (laughs) (laughs) oh my god cock overbeak (laughs) no he's from the netherlands i found his bio cock leads cgi's global space business which employs more than 1,000 professionals in offices across the globe they deliver mission critical systems technical consulting secure software development and systems integration for space programs involving satellite navigation satellite communication earth observation and satellite control wow cock overbeak is a fucking badass seriously <laughs> and that's it that is a good one Mr. On. Overbeak. <laughs> god Overbeak. Wow. oh the world is such a beautiful place that what we have do you have more no we're ending with cock over there is uh, nowhere to go are. from there mm-hmm. <laughs> well before we do our shouty outies should we transition to pill they will pill. yes let me just tell you guys very quickly before we get to the shouty outies they will pill update your boy got an adhd diagnosis Booyah! and is medicated and i cannot yes. begin to tell you i don't i like there are really no words truly no words to tell you how different my life is now that i am medicated it's so exciting fucking remarkable the crazy thing about adhd is that it requires taking a controlled substance to know how much you need a controlled substance (laughs) you know what i mean like it's too bad that you can't just do a little three-day tester to see how you do on it Um, right does it make you focus and put you to sleep okay or does it amp you up make you want to party yeah exactly it was funny because the first day i took it you know i was going through my morning and the first day made me feel a little crazy like i could really you know feel it feel it for a bit Mm -hmm. and uh but i would you know otherwise i felt very calm i felt focused i didn't feel a huge difference and then laura came upstairs at one point and it's every single fall I live in the woods every single fall a mouse comes in the house and poops all in the drawers and then we have to clean out all the drawers and catch the mouse and it's just like it's a yearly thing we're not gross it's you just can't avoid it in a log cabin in the woods right so (laughs) 
she it was the morning that she'd found the fall mouse had shown up and it was like noontime mid-afternoon she needed a break she came upstairs she started taking all of the silverware and cutlery and everything out of the drawers and was putting them into the sink and the dishwasher to clean them and she's like how, how do you feel how's it going and I was like yeah pretty good you know no no big major changes but feeling pretty focused pretty cool and I like started to get up to like go make some food or something and it I just can't, crashed over me you guys I have such crazy sensory issues that mm-hmm. normally even just my wife coming upstairs and interrupting me to just ask a simple question puts me in a crazy rage, which is a part of ADHD. I don't express that rage. I keep it deep, deep inside of myself because I know it's inappropriate, you know, mm-hmm. but and Sadie, I know can relate to this, but any, any kind of interruption, let alone like a seriously loud, crashing, clanking, crazy interruption. She'd come up and started doing that. And I just hadn't, I just didn't bother me at all. I was just like, yeah, she needs to do that right now. And and so, so she asked how I was going and I was like, yeah, pretty good. And then I start walking and I stop and I turned her and I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Holy <laughs> shit. Because there's just such a quiet and a calm and a normalcy. And like, I, it's, I can't, you guys, I can't express to you enough how amazing it feels to just be the person to have control over these things that I've never had control over in my life and have just gotten so accustomed to that it took a year of like deep introspection and like paying attention to my body to understand how, how much I had set up, how much I was doing in my own life to cope with the way my brain works. And I really Mm -hmm. like the way my brain works. And so, you know, there was a point where I was hesitant to become medicated because I was like, well, I like that my brain is just like, you know, like a super generator that it just Mm -hmm. produces all of this like inspiration and thought. And, you know, it's really good to me. But what I realized is that the other side of my brain that's working double, triple overtime to keep up with that and then also mitigate the sensory shit and then also like react to overstimulation and, uh, you know, on and on and on. Like I physically was not able to keep up with that. And it was causing mm-hmm. me tons of anxiety, tons of exhaustion, you know, just so my brain. Yes. Yeah. And like now I have the energy and clarity to either just ignore or control. Like I still am aware of those things. I just don't care. And it's such mm-hmm. a, f- a fucking freedom. I can't tell you what a freedom it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the other day I, and I also, and every day, if I have a free day to myself, I'm like so excited. I'm like, I can write a story for please leave. I can work on this TikTok. I can, you know, there's like always tons of stuff that I want to do. And so that's my plan for a day. And then by the time I'm done doing one task, I am like flat out on the ground. You know, I'm just Mm -hmm. exhausted. And now I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) So jealous. It's so so crazy. (laughs) It was like Thursday or Friday. I wrote an episode for the podcast. I wrote a half of a story for Please Leave. I installed a fucking toilet paper holder, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, it's just, ugh. yeah. So yes. if you are, if you have questions, if you need help, it's very um, invalidating experience to 
you know, I think it's very trendy if you're on TikTok. It's very quote unquote mm -hmm. trendy for people my age and people in general to be diagnosing themselves with ADHD and autism and like realizing that, you know, they are neurodivergent after not knowing it their entire lives and stuff. And so um, I have been, I've tried to talk to a lot of people about it and have been very, very invalidated in those conversations. Mm -hmm. And unless you are somebody who are, who's going through the same journey, you're probably going to get the similar pushback. Yeah. Um, no, I've tried to talk to my doctor about it and she's mm -hmm. like, nah, I don't think so. And I'm like, no, I know I don't like seem like it, but you got to yep. like, how do you get a doctor to trust you when they don't really know you? Right. And you don't present as ADHD or whatever, for whatever that means, you know, but like, right. yeah, I can sit here and like, I don't know, you know, it just, yeah. she just definitely was like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. kind of rolling her eyes at me. Yeah. And needed fucking help and had no right. idea. You know, and all of the anxiety and all of the like imposter syndrome and mm -hmm. like, you know, all of the hours and days and years I spent feeling like shit and holding myself mm -hmm. back and like waiting. I've said this earlier in the podcast before I had the slightest idea where it was coming from. I waited for years for people to give me permission to join them. And then finally, mm -hmm. I was like, I need to make my own stuff, right? Like nobody's going to give me permission. Nobody's going to like you know, come join our project. So I had to start making my own projects. And now I know that that hesitancy was because I felt I didn't believe in myself because mm -hmm. I was spending so much time and energy just trying to act fucking normal, you know, and yeah. like not be exhausted and figure out how to read people and all these other things that come with mm -hmm. it that, you know, I was, I could, I just could have had a different life I don't know and I love my yeah. life and I'm grateful for the lessons that it's taught me but <sighs> do what you got yeah. to do to make yourself feel better is the bottom line you know right. within as long as you're not harming other people do what the fuck you've got to do and if you need help doing it please reach out I'm very happy to support you encourage you validate you you know whatever that looks like because right. I just I really I'd like this time last week, I had a different life. And this time this week, I am <laughs> so excited about new. my life. So I was already exciting. excited about that life, but I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude and hope and fucking magic. I can't tell yeah, you. Well, it just doesn't have to be so hard anymore. What yeah. a relief that is. Yep. And realizing just how hard it was. You know, there's like a, mm -hmm. a, a certain amount of like grief that has come mm -hmm. with that. But Big more time. than that is excitement and joy and like relief just tremendous relief so yeah and i hope that is more is understood with neurodivergence and we understand that it's like lots of people have it it's not this mm -hmm. like sort of out there thing that the services will come there needs to be a demand for the for the services for them to be Correct. created unfortunately and so i'm hopeful i mean we'll see but i would I'm, i'd like to believe that as it becomes known that more people need treatment or whatever Yep. That that will somehow be provided, even though our medical uh, workers are, are very burnt out and tired right now. But come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also oh. wonder, you know, had I known at a younger age, had they been able to identify this in me at a younger age? And that's the thing that I really want people to talk about. And that's why I'm like the obnoxious one who at the party after two drinks just wants to talk about neurodivergence. My friends mm -hmm. are like, yeah, we get it, you know. But I really, I do, I truly believe that we are if not close to half of the population, you know, more than half the pie. Like, I feel like it's not like there's all the, you know, we grew up thinking that 
everybody's normal and then like a couple of people are neurodivergent mm-hmm. like they're way over here but it's very clear to me now abundantly clear to me now that there are tons and tons and tons and tons of us who have just been mm-hmm. working to fit in all this time and had we not had to work so hard to fit in we might have a little bit more energy or capability to manage this better with or without medication i don't know Mm -hmm. but i do know that now at this point in my life at 43 years old you know my brain has burnt so hot for so long that i cannot do that for myself and i've tried you know i've tried everything and it's just i need this in my life and so yeah i agree with you i think that and I think it's, you know, we've all know this ADHD has only been studied in women since 2006. And, you know, they just don't know. They really don't. Mm-hmm. I watch videos on experts talking about the autism spectrum and talking about all these different things and in women and adult women and being like, we just, we really just don't know. Unless we scan your brain for certain things, mm-hmm. we, you know, so, yeah, we don't know. So pushing yeah. for that to be more of a um, area of study so that people can just fit in sooner, you know, feel like they have a place in this world and not have mm-hmm. to like try to contort themselves into a different version of themselves. So then when they're 43 years old, they're pissed off and really fucking sad that they don't know who they are because they were never allowed to be who they should have been. So mm-hmm. I love you, Court. I love you too. And I love you guys out there. And I know that if you're listening to this and enjoying this, you're probably neurodivergent. I've said that before. And if you don't think you are, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, I, that's what, yeah, I was like, spoiler alert, I, I'm hoping to get my own diagnosis here soon. And uh, it took me a very long time. I mean, it was just, it's been very, very recent that I was finally yeah. like, oh, okay. Nope. I thought, I I mean, it's one of those where I just thought that my, the way my brain works is how everybody's brain worked, yep. but mine didn't work as well as everybody exactly. else's, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then Courtney kept saying, no, dude, no, people can just focus. It's like not. And I was like, really? <laughs> like, really? And then you, I started doing like adults uh, with ADHD, women with ADHD quizzes and shit. And I, I check all the boxes, but I just yep. didn't know because I'm not super hyperactive in the way that we were taught in especially like the 90s of exactly. what ADHD or ADD looks like. Yep. I definitely didn't. I wasn't that whatever that is. I wasn't a little boy who couldn't sit still. Right. You know, but it's all, it's very internal and it's very much just my focus. And the, and once you realize it, I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. Like, no wonder I, I couldn't focus. Like I could, I couldn't focus in school and everybody thought I was, you know, slow or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't, but the way, as soon as I hit college and, and people started teaching me differently. Yep. I would I excelled. Yep. Or if it was something I was really interested in, yep. I excelled. Yeah. <laughs> because that's how my brain works. Totally. I need to be, you know, I can get really hyper focused on things. And anyway, it's just it's interesting when you when that shift happened and I was like, holy shit. Okay. Yep. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. And and men too. <laughs> like I'm starting to meet, you know, male friends and I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, you weren't hyperactive, but you internalized it like I did, you know, for whatever mm-hmm. reason. You probably had parents who invalidated, you know, how you were feeling or something, whatever the reason. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of men too that internalize their ADHD. Absolutely. And, you know, yes. and so yeah. I don't want to say this is just women, but it has been studied more extensively in men. But I'm, you know, mm-hmm. as I'm looking around me and having conversations with my male and female friends and non-binary friends, a lot of mm-hmm. like all of my non-binary 
very friends yeah. have been diagnosed. But yeah, it's fascinating. And it's and it's like it's exciting and it's overwhelming and it's all kinds of things, mm-hmm. but yeah. A little, so little bit of dopamine goes a long way. <laughs> oh, <my> God. <laughs> Ugh. Yep. And I will say that all the good stuff is still there. That was what I was worried about. I was like, I don't want my brain yeah. to slow down. And my brain's like, oh, no, no, I'm not going to slow down. You're just going to have the energy to keep up now. And I'm like, fuck yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yes. That's so exciting. So. Yep. Thank you, Let's universe. Let's do it. So happy for you, Corey. Yeah, thank you. And I cannot wait for you to get yours. I mean, I feel like I'm bragging now because I'm just telling Sadie all the positive things that are happening. <laughs> you no, know, like, please. I love it. I really do. I mean, I there's that do. part of me. When I say I'm jealous, I'm not really. I'm excited and I'm so relieved for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, just growing, having grown up with you and seeing the way that you struggled, you know, especially with the sensory stuff. Yep. You know, and you're... You, like I, I yeah just understanding how kind your heart is and how annoying people are for you sometimes you know because of the sensory stuff like that was a huge struggle and I laugh but it's not really funny I think yeah, it's true for you it is funny you know but it's not and yeah yeah like you didn't want to be triggered by that shit and you were constantly and it made you feel like I, well, I'm assuming here but I I can see that it probably made you feel like a shitty person yep. for feeling so annoyed and like triggered and you didn't want it and you couldn't help it and you've yep. lived your whole life that way plus yep. whatever else was happening for you inside right um you know, well, I'm being so I'm considered just... lazy because I would abandon things you know that I wasn't good at yeah. you know it was like a million different things that have yeah, just sort of shoved me into a corner and not being able to keep up, you know, working with corporate corporations for the last 15 years as clients, like, I can't keep up. I just don't want to do mm-hmm. that. You know, I don't want to mm-hmm. fucking go over a thing point by point by point. Like, I mean, I do, but my brain is like, in agony. <laughs> no, yeah, fucking agonizing for me to the point that yes. I was like, failing my job because my body is like screaming physically. I cannot do this. And I'd be like, Nope, I'm good. I don't have any questions whatsoever. And I have like billions of questions. (laughs) (laughs) And I had my first client call on Friday and I was fucking locked in. I was asking witty questions. I was like anticipating needs of my team and shit. (laughs) Uh, What a concept. Anyway. (laughs) Oh, I'm so happy for you. Thank you so much. Well, well, that's a lot, but what's even more? <laughs> one more thing. That's a good one. You know what's even more is our Patreon <laughs> supporters. <laughs> Woo! I only have like two in me tonight because we're running long and yeah, dude. kind of yes. exhausting because, yes. you know, I don't know how to validate myself yet getting there. You're Who do doing... have? Thank you so much, too. Ashley A. Ashley A. What you doing over there, Ashley? And she says, oh, well, Bubbo, I'm cooking up something delicious for you. And you want to know what it is? Well, what? it's uh, something about how you need to believe in yourself and you should love yourself and you should celebrate yourself and you should provide yourself with whatever self needs and you should uh, feed yourself mentally spiritually emotionally and Mm -hmm. you know why you should do those things because you're fucking extravagant you're extraordinary you're gorgeous you're talented you're brilliant you're ashley ashley you know ash the beginning of that like when you burn something down fuck it tear it to the ground 
destroy it, smash it, and you know what rises from the ash? Lee, Phoenix, you. Yes. Equals you. We love you. Yes. Give it to me, Ashley. And what is it? You know. Whatever you want it to be. The good stuff. (laughs) Because you're full of it. (laughs) Thank you, Ashley. Uh, Who's next? And last but not least, uh, thank you so much to Sarah. Yes, Last name given. So short and sweet because S stands for serendipity. When I first heard the name Sarah tonight, I thought, you know what? That's interesting. It's very serendipitous because I think that that means you're a badass. But everyone named Sarah is a badass. A stands for astronomically fucking awesome, which also Mm -hmm. starts with an A. R stands for ridiculously good looking. If I may quote the 2004 hit film Zoolander, (laughs) which I think I may which, uh, who doesn't want to quote Zoolander on a regular basis? Sarah does, <laughs> because she is ridiculously good looking. Which leads me to A, which stands for apostrophe, which is possessive. If you put it before the S at the end of somebody's name, which means she possesses grace, beauty, intelligence, vim and vigor. And then, Ooh. last but not least, is there an H? There is an H. Thought so. H stands for hereditary. What did she inherit from her ancestors? Power. Insight. Strength. Grace. Bravery. And bravery to go forth, conquer, be the best Sarah she can be. Period. No last name needed. Fuck yeah, Sarah. Fuck yeah, Thank you so much. I wish I had more Thank of me. Thank you but so much. No, dude. No. Done. We're done. I love you we guys did. too much to push it out if it's not working, if it's not in me, and those two are in me, and I'm proud of you, and I love you. And if you want to spend more time with us, you can come find us on social media at They Will Kill on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can go to our website, theywillkill.com, and you can email us at theywillkillpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, you can rate, review, subscribe to us right Please now. Please do it. We you love it. Tell your friends about us. Definitely tell your friends about it. Be like, hey, tell the internet about what us. This fuck nut did to his beautiful, brilliant wife. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then you can terrible talk about what a fucked up thing that is that he did. Yeah. That's actually um, how Sadie and I started this podcast <laughs> by doing yes. exactly that. So do it for right? us. To your friends, they will love you for it. And then start your own podcast if you want. Yeah, I highly recommend it. It's fucking revelatory. It's totally life-changing. <laughs> it really is. Yep. Um, hey, AJ Bergans, thank you for your music. Thank you so my much. My brother. Thank you so much. My literal brother. And remember, are yep. we there already? <laughs> I saw this great TikTok after I got my diagnosis that said, it's important to know that you're a normal zebra and not a strange horse. Oh. And that is the damn truth of the matter it is not i love that. us and then those over there which is how we were raised to believe it yep there's a population of horses and they live among a pop next to and amongst zebras That's and so we're, we don't all need to be horses no definitely some of don't us all need to be horses fucking zebras and some of us are some horses. of us are gazelles yes equally Probably beautiful gazelle. important useful and belong here but 
Stop covering up your stripes, baby. Get yourself medicated, and we love you. Woo-hoo-hoo. I'm that stenciled above my bed. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. We love you. <laughs> we Goodbye. love you so much. Goodbye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.